Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. I'm very thrilled that you were able to come out and to celebrate with us here at First Baptist Church. This really is a great opportunity for us all. Tis certainly the season, as we say. And this is a time where typically, you know, we emphasize, you know, warmth of the family and the kindness and the singing and, and the giving and all of the, the things that go together with the season of the Christmas spirit. I specifically want to welcome all of you who may be visiting with us for the first time or second time. You're not real familiar with First Baptist Church. Maybe you're not familiar with church at all. We're just glad that you chose to come out and just to spend a little time here with our church family and to, to just celebrate this great time. It's, it's the greatest day of all human history, and every year we just take some time out to get excited about that. If you are fairly new to churches and around Christmas time, maybe you would expect that there would be some sort of a message about baby Jesus that I'm going to talk about. Actually, it's going to be a little bit different today. Not your typical just peace on earth, goodwill toward men message. Uh, we're going to kind of come at it from the perspective of a father today as he gave his son. Uh, we started this morning at 9 a.m. and we had a wonderful time together where we sang some traditional Christmas carols together uh, coupled with the story of the birth of Christ as found in Luke chapter 2. Some of the artwork that you see on the stage, that was done live for us at 9 o'clock. It was a wonderful time that we had together. What we've been doing leading up to this day today is going through a series on generosity. You know in the Christmas season we're all about giving and sharing and helping and being generous. And so we've taken a couple of weeks leading up till now and just talking about generosity and how generosity needs to be a characteristic of our lives and it needs to be more than just in the Christmas season. So a couple of weeks ago we kind of talked about how we can be generous toward our enemies, how we can be generous toward those who we absolutely know ahead of time will probably most likely reject the generosity that we offer. And then last week, we spent some time and talked a little bit about how we can be generous to our neighbors. And all the people that are around us here in our local community that so desperately need somebody just to love them and care for them and take the time to be generous. They don't necessarily deserve it. We don't necessarily know them. We certainly don't owe them. We just desire to be kind and we desire to be generous. And that's kind of what we've been talking about. But here we are today. And it's the 22nd of December and we're celebrating Christmas in 2013 and, and really what we want to do is we want to just focus a little bit on God's great generosity toward us. And certainly never is that greater on display than the fact that, as you probably all can quote John 3:16, that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so God is the one certainly who sets the stage. God is a giver. And what we're going to see from the perspective of a father is that God as a giver, there's really two main uh, themes or, or two main elements of this, of this generosity of God that we'll see in the story that we're going to look at in just a minute. And they are that, that this generosity requires some personal sacrifice. And it's also the fact that this generosity is motivated by God's great love. And so that's kind of the angle that we're going to take as we, as we look at this thing. Listen, Jesus Christ coming to earth as a man, God the Son, and, and offering for us the free gift of eternal life is the theme of all of life. It's the most important thing that could be communicated. But I want us today to look at it from the perspective of a father. And so I've given a title to this message, uh, The Sacrificial Love of a Father. And so if you can, in your mind, just kind of think about that, we're going to have something for everybody today. 
And regardless of your background, regardless of your familiarity with the Lord personally, with his word, uh, with church, with church people, uh, regardless whether or not you're a church person, whether you believe in the Lord Jesus and you've been very faithful to him or maybe not so faithful to him, regardless of where you're at in your walk today, we have something for you. So I'm really glad that you chose to be here with us today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look in Luke chapter 15 at a story that is fairly familiar to those of us who spend time in church, and it's a story that you might not expect to hear on a Christmas morning. It's a story that we refer to as the prodigal son. But I want us to understand this from the perspective of the father and his great kindness towards us all. So it'll pop up on the screen. You can follow along. I'm going to read for you, starting in Luke 15, verse number 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And bring, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now whether this is the first time you're hearing this story or maybe you've heard it many, many times, I want to just take a, a brief time and, and give you a, an explanation of some of the highlights of the things that we see in the text of this story. And the first thing I want you to kind of get is just the scenario. And the first thing I want you to see about the scenario is that it's the younger son that gets into trouble. And and you know what? Today, our youth are under a lot of pressure. Is that not right? I mean, have you not recognized how the youth of today, I mean, they just have a lot of pressure on their lives. Their their youth are, it's a challenging time of life. Youth can be very cruel sometimes to one another, very judgmental. Uh, They are at a time when they think they know more than everybody else, but truly don't have a ton of experience in their life, and so as a result, make dumb decisions. And when that happens, you know, I mean, we're not surprised that God points out in here. It just happens to be the younger son. Uh, Our teenagers really do struggle to find their way. And I'm going to tell you something, especially for us parents. You know what? The, there is a real devil, and he's out to get our kids now before they come to their senses, before they realize, before they get to the point that they would decide, hey, wait a minute, I need to follow the Lord. And the devil is after the youth to try and get their minds. It's the younger son that starts this whole story out. It's the younger son that shows up 
And he has this attitude. Give me. Give me mine. Give me what I want. Give it to me and give it to me now. Give me my inheritance. I want it now. I don't want to wait until uh, after you pass and it belongs to me. I want it now. And this idea that I want what I want, I need to have it, this idea of entitlement and handouts and free stuff is really prevalent, is it not? Not just for the young, for the old, for everybody. And, and this was the attitude. It was very selfish. Me first. Handouts. I, I am ever amazed at the entitlement mentality that is pervasive all throughout our country, but certainly among our youth. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. This is the scene that we see, this young person under this pressure, and he absolutely caves. And he says, I just want, it's all about me. It's all about me. Just give me what I need to have. And then what does he do? The father is kind. The father says, okay, and he divides the inheritance among his sons. The younger takes his portion, and he goes off, the Bible says, to a far country. Now, used to be a long time ago, I'm older, so, you know, it used to be a long time ago, if you grew up, in a, in a nice small hometown like New Philadelphia, that you would have to go far away to get to the place where they have riotous living. Not anymore. Uh, you don't have to go to the big cities of this world. You don't have to go to Cleveland or Columbus or New York or Chicago or Miami or New Orleans or Las Vegas or any of those. You don't have to go away into a far place to find riotous living. You, I think, understand, do you not, that Right here in Tuscarawas County, a very kind, friendly, family-centered place to raise a family and to live your life. We have all the problems of society right here. We have teenage pregnancy and drug addiction and alcoholism and abuse of all sorts and shapes. We have all levels of crime, violent and nonviolent, that go on every single day. And yes, I understand there are other areas that have it even worse, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to go to a far country today to find riotous living. In fact, if you just turn on the television or if you just turn on the Internet and go to certain places, it's on full display right in your living room, right in your hand. And so with this in mind, it's very interesting because what we see is this young man, and he falls into this trap, and he's involved in this riotous living. And so there's sin. He goes into this country and he just wastes all his goods. The Bible says that when he had spent all, he used up everything that he had available to him and he began to be in want. He began to be in need. There were things that were not there. But that's the mindset, isn't it? Hey man, live for, live for life now. Live it to the fullest. I mean, go for the gusto. I mean, go for it and, and live hard and just do it. Go for it now while you got the chance. That's kind of the mindset. And it's probably no surprise that we kind of have this saying that a fool and his money are soon parted. <laughs> because that's what we see in this story, right? And once that happened, he was all alone. His friends were no longer around there with him. You know, we've heard it said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, okay, uh, that's one philosophy of life. But what happens when you wake up tomorrow and you're not dead. What happens when you wake up tomorrow and you realize, oh wow, I just blew everything that I had, and now I've got nothing. And he had no man that would give to him, the Bible says. No man. He was all alone. He had nowhere to go. 
And he had to sell himself out. He had to try and find work. He had to find a way to eat. He had no way to provide for himself. Do you realize that the friends that you make while you're living in rebellion to God will only last as long as the money lasts? Do you recognize that when you're making bad decisions, and as long as you can afford it, it can be maybe okay for you, but once you can't afford it anymore, you'll see who your real friends are. You'll see who really will stick with you when those times come. And and this guy saw that. I mean, can you imagine this little Jewish boy feeding swine and ultimately having such hunger that he had to eat the husks that the swine ate. I mean, he wasn't even allowed to eat the swine, let alone the food that they ate. And that's what he was stuck with, trough eating for dinner. And, and, he, and he had this terrible, terrible set of circumstances as a result of his sin, as a result of his rebellious living, as a result of his selfishness, as a result of his desire to just live for himself and for the moment now. He found himself in a tough spot. But the cool thing is, is that he gets to this, what I'm calling the third point here, the sobriety. It's, it says in verse 17 that when he came to himself, I love that. I love that it says when he came to himself. That's a great statement. So think about it this way. While you're out wasting your life in riotous living, when you are out just living it up and kind of crazy, <laughs> It's like you're not really yourself. It's kind of like you're somebody else. It's almost like you don't realize it until the time comes that you come to yourself. It's like, I don't even know who that guy is. You all have your own stories, and I have mine. My story is not all that different from this. I had a time in my life before I met the Lord Jesus as my Savior that I was out in a far country and living a riotous life. And when it all was said and done and I finally came to myself, I can look back on that portion of my life and think to myself, what was I thinking? Who was that guy? I don't even know that guy anymore. And he came to himself. When you live a life like that in the fast lane, man, you know, the world says, man, you're really living. And this guy came to himself and he said, man, I'm dying. I'm dying. There's nothing here for me. And all he thought about was going home. He realized, hey, everything I ever wanted in life is already there at my father's house. All the nice clothes and good food and money and happiness, love, security, All the things that I really want, they're already there in my father's house. And so he comes to this realization and he makes a great statement. He says, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. He says, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to beg for mercy. I'm going to tell him I sinned against heaven and before thee. I want you to understand something this morning. That all sin is against God. All sin is against God. Do you remember the story of King David when, in a moment of weakness, when the kings went out to battle and David stayed home and he looks across the way and he sees a woman named Bathsheba and she's bathing herself on the 
roof of her house, and David summons for her to come to him. And David has an adulterous affair with this woman named Bathsheba, and, and he lies with her, and, and, and he commits this terrible sin. And, and we could say that David sinned against his own body. We could say that David sinned against his kingdom, against his position. We could say certainly he sinned against this woman. David certainly sinned against the husband of this woman who was out fighting a battle. But when David got alone with God and, and confessed his sin, it appears for us in Psalm 51 and verse number 4, and he prays to God and he says to God, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Because our sin primarily, first and foremost, is against God. Another story in the scripture is the story of Joseph, one of the patriarchs. And when Joseph was young and he was sold by his brothers into slavery, maybe you remember the story, and he ends up in Egypt, and, he, and he's working in the house of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is one of the high-level assistants to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And, and, and Joseph is working in Potiphar's house, and he's highly trusted, and, and Potiphar gives him the run of his house. And so Joseph is working in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife is there, and she's not a good woman. And, and she's luring and tempting Joseph to come and lie with her, and she wants to seduce him. And Joseph resists the temptation and ultimately one day she grabs him by the coat and she tries to grab him to force him to lie with her and he runs, he flees. And he says this in Genesis 39 and verse 9 to Potiphar's wife, there's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he, Potiphar, kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph understood that if he committed this sexual sin, that primarily, really, it's just a sin against God and his holiness. That's what the young man understood in this story in Luke chapter 15. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. That's what he understands. And he was humbled and he repented. I want you to understand something. that true repentance is not just sorrow. It's not just feeling bad for a life that's falling apart. There's a lot of people that say, I have sinned. And yet their end of their life ends up in hell. The Bible tells stories of people who said, I've sinned. Pharaoh, King Saul, Judas, Balaam. I mean, there's all kind of people in the Bible who would have recognized their sin. But that didn't mean that they were saved. And listen, the jails today are full of people who admit, I have sinned. They feel sorry for what happened. Maybe they just feel sorry for getting caught. But that's not enough. Because true repentance is sorrow for who you are, not just for what you've done. Like Job, at the end of the story of Job, in the last chapter, Job, after his interaction with God, through all the difficulty he'd been through, and God had answered to Job about his errors as well, Job answers God in chapter 42 and verse 6 and says, Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's the attitude of true repentance. I just, I hate myself. I am wicked. I am broken. I am wrong. I am not good. And when you admit that you in your core are not good, you recognize, you recognize that you need a second birth. The first one's no good. The first one sets you up for failure. You need another one. And so there's some applications that we're going to make. And I'm going to make three specific applications. And I, and I want you to consider which of these categories best 
fits you today. The first category is for those that we would call unbelievers. And all of us certainly started in that category, and maybe some of us here today are still in that category. We're not really 100% sure whether or not we're going to buy into this whole Jesus thing, and we're still investigating those claims. Well, similar to the young man in this story, we need to understand that all of us in this room fall into this category of being a sinner. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All in the original Greek means all. And that's you and me and all your best friends and everybody you ever loved and everybody you didn't love. Uh, all of us have sinned. We all have blown it. Face it, it's not hard to prove, right? I mean, how many of us truly would say before a holy God, yeah, I've never done anything wrong? No, of course we have. But God makes it very clear, and he goes on in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, and he says, hey, the wages of sin is death. And so this idea of a wage, you know, we're all working people, right? We have jobs, and we earn a wage. We earn a salary. You go to work. You do your deal. And at the end of the two weeks or month or whatever your pay period is, you get a paycheck. You receive your wages. When you receive your wages, it is, it is happily, freely given to you. Why? Because you earned it. You worked for it. God said the wages of sin, what we've done, what we've earned, is death. And you think, okay, yeah, right, whatever. Well, of course, everybody dies. We know that. Nothing you do about that. Yeah, well, when the Bible talks about death, it talks about a couple of different kinds of death. There's a first death, which is physical, of course. We all understand that. But the Bible also talks about a second death, which is really this idea of eternal separation from God in a place called hell. It's a spiritual death. And when he says the wages of sin is death, really he's talking about that second death. The book of Revelation describes it as a place that burns with fire and brimstone. It's hell. But God loved us, and he doesn't want us to go there. And so in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says that God commendeth or demonstrates. He proves it. He proves his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, enemies of Christ, rebellious like this prodigal son, Christ died for us. The love of a father has sent his son that while we were his enemies, while we were shaking our fist at him, while we were saying, I want mine and I want it now and I want to do what I want to do, he says, yeah, I know. I'm going to do this for you because I love you. That's how much love he has for you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so it's a very simple thing. He just says a little further in that chapter, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you're like, look, I do not know for sure that if my life were to end today that I would absolutely have a home in heaven. And I understand now, Jesus came for this very reason. We sing the songs, we tell the story, but sometimes it never clicks. And maybe now it's finally clicking. If you were to go back into Luke 15, at the very beginning of the chapter, and get a running start with the context, in verse number 2, it kicks off the context of Luke 15, where it says, this man, the Pharisees and the publicans, they're accusing him. They don't like Jesus for this characteristic. And they say, this man, Jesus, receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Well, thank you, Lord. The Lord Jesus receives sinners. And my question for you today is, if you're in that category, if Jesus Christ will receive you just as you are today, 
And he will, by the way. Would you be willing to receive him as your Lord and as your Savior? The Bible says in John chapter 1, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. And you know what? I've got a little bit more in application that I want to talk about for just a second, but I feel like we should just stop here for a second. And we're not calling on anybody to embarrass you, but in your heart of hearts, man, God brought you here for a reason, and this is the message you needed to hear, and finally it makes sense. Let's just stop right now, and let's just pray. And if you feel like, I need to make this commitment, just pray to the Lord, be humble, confess your sin, cry out to him, and he'll give you new life. Let's just all pray together. If you're already a believer, just pray for those that might not be. If you're not yet a believer and want to do it, you might want to call out to the Lord with something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you, Lord, that you came to this earth. You didn't leave us alone, and you died to pay for my sin. Lord, I am, without a doubt, a sinner. Absolutely, I have blown it. I abhor myself. I am so tired of my sin twisting my life. I surrender it all to you. I give you my heart and my soul and my life, and I ask you, Lord Jesus, please, just forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life and give me the free gift of eternal life. Help me, Lord, to follow you every day of my life. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven when I die, and I need you to do that. Nobody is like you. You are above all, and I surrender it all to you today. Help me, Lord, just to follow you every day of my life. By faith, I commit it all to you. I pray in your name. Amen. Listen, at the end of the service, we're, you know, Pastor Andy had talked about the connection card, and, and if you make some sort of a decision like that, we'd like to know about it. There'll be time. I'll explain that to you in a minute. But if that's you today, that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. No other decision compares with that. But let's talk about the category that probably many more of us are in, and that is in the category of believers, because many of us are in church because we've been believing in the Lord for a long, long time. And I don't know if you have been faithful to the Lord or not, but if you, per, by chance, have not been so faithful to the Lord lately, and you know who you are, I don't need to know. Let's talk a little bit about you. You've received Christ as your Savior at some point in your past, but yet your walk with Him has not been all that great. If we went back to our story in Luke 15, he, the, the son says, He's going to say this, I, I'm no, no more worthy to be called your son. Do you realize that's a great picture of a backslidden Christian? A, a, a person who has received Christ as their Savior, but they're living a carnal, fleshly, selfish life. Again, if we went back to Luke 15 at the beginning and, and we get a running start into this chapter, there's actually three different stories, parables that are given. Jesus receives sinners, and then he launches into three different stories. The first one is the story of a lost sheep. The guy's got 100 sheep. One of them gets lost. He leaves 99, and he, he goes to find the one that's lost. Then he goes into another story about a woman who's got this piece of silver, a coin that has been lost. So you have a lost sheep, and then you have a lost coin. She loses the coin. She tears the house apart. She cleans everything. i got to find the coin that was lost. And then we get to the story of the prodigal son, and we call him the prodigal son, but really it might be most accurate to say the lost son. In other words, he was a son. And then he wandered away. And you know what? Churches today, y'all, are full of people who prayed that special prayer to get their fire insurance out of hell but wander away and live their lives after their own desires. And you might not be in such desperate straits 
that you're eating out of a trough with pigs. You may not be in such desperate straits that you don't know how you're going to get your next meal. But you know you're far from the Lord. You know that's the case. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15 says, The way of the transgressor is hard. You know what? Sheep just can't be happy in a pig pen. They just can't. And if that's the life you've been kind of leading, it's hard for you. He decides, I'm going to go home. He says, going to say to his father, make me as one of your hired servants. And so he, he said, the Bible says he arose and he went back home to his father. I want you to understand something today. The hero of this story is not the son because he went back. The hero of the story is the father. The hero of the story is the one who had the great love and compassion. The one who had the tremendous generosity to say, wow, my son. So we have this picture, and he decides. He decides in his heart. He's humble. He's got the right attitude. I'm going to go home. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm just going to be a slave in my dad's house. It's better than the way I'm living now, but I'm going to go home. And it says when his father saw him a way off, he saw him coming a far way off. Can you picture the father? He's, it's like he's standing out on his front porch every day, day after day, and he's like, I know he's going to be coming. I know he's going to be coming. And maybe his wife's inside cooking dinner and said, come on in, we got to eat. And he's like, I'll be in in just a minute. And then she sends one of the kids out, and the kid says, Dad, come on in, we got to eat. I'll be in just a minute. And he's out on that porch. He's looking, and he's saying, I know he's coming. He's been looking for him. Ultimately, he kills the fatted calf and throws a party. Do you know how long it takes to make a calf fat? He's been preparing for this day. He's looking for you to come home. He had compassion on him. And he ran to him. And he hugged him. And he kissed him. And he gave him gifts. Let me ask you something, Christian. Do you realize that if your life isn't right with God today, that God is far more motivated and anxious and interested in you getting right with him than even you are? There's a powerful message, and I couldn't do it any better than is in this song. Watch this video and listen to the words of this song. You get the picture? And you're just blown away by this unbelievable generosity and love of the Father for His Son. And God the Father loved you enough that even if you have received His love previously, but yet somehow things happened and crowded Him out of your life and you're carnal, He just wants you to make that move. You know, an old-fashioned Baptist church, they'd have you get out and come down front and pray or something. We're not doing that today. But if you did do that, by the time you took your first step, he would run and meet you where you're at. You know what I love about this story in Luke 15? That boy who decided to go home, he's, he's still 100 yards from his house, whatever. His dad runs out and he immediately puts the robe on him and the ring and the shoes and starts the party. And, and that boy could have just said, hey, it's pretty good. I don't need to say what I needed to say. It worked out. But that boy had integrity. 
and he went through with what he said he was going to do. Oh, he was foolish. He did some dumb things. He said, I want mine, and he took it. He said, I'm going to go and party, and he did. He said, I'm going to go home, and he did. He said, I'm going to repent and tell my father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and he did. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am not worthy to be one of your sons, but make me as a hired servant. But the father's love overwhelmed that and reinstated him in the place that he belonged all along. You might be here and God's touched your heart and you feel like, look, it's time. Christmas 2013, it's time. I'm gonna make that step toward God and he's gonna run to you. But go through with your confession. Go through with your repentance. Say to him what you need to say to him. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Lord, it's been a long time and I haven't really walked with you. You've been good to me. You've been kind to me. You've given to me. You've served. You've, you've done everything and all I've done is just cast it aside and live my life my way. God, I'm sorry. I hate myself for the way I've been living and today's the day I'm coming home. Everything I've ever looked for in life is in your house and that's where I want to go. I want to go home. I want to come home. I'm not worthy, but Lord... I give it all back to you. And from today moving forward, it's yours. It's yours. Do with me what you will. I pray in your name. Amen. Well, there's one last category, and I hope many, many, many of you are in this category. It's the category of the faithful. And we're not going to spend much time on this, but if your life is okay with God, and listen, none of us are perfect. None of us can say that we can't find any flaw. I'm just saying if you pray and if you ask God to show you there's no real sin that's obvious in your life. You serve, you give, you sacrifice. Listen, we couldn't put on a day like today without all the people that sacrifice and serve to put on a day like we have today. There's many people whose lives are right with God. You're doing fine. You're not aware of any particular sin that's in your life. My question to you simply is this. Could you then show this kind of generosity to somebody else? Don't just keep it in for yourself. Don't just show this kind of love to your family of loved ones as we go home this week and we exchange gifts and we do all the things that we do. But consider showing this level of generosity to those who maybe don't deserve it. Because we represent Christ. And just like the father in this story, it'll require some sacrifice. And it's got to be motivated by love. And if you'll do that, you can help other people to know this unsearchable riches of God in Christ Jesus. Will you do that? I want to pray for us. Let me pray.